Welcome to the Scrum.org Community Podcast, a podcast from the home of Scrum. In this podcast, we feature professional Scrum trainers and other Scrum practitioners sharing their stories and experiences to help learn from the experience of others. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Ryan Ripley with Agile for Humans and professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org. I'm stepping in as a guest host. I hope you enjoy getting to know these amazing people. Welcome to today's episode of Becoming a Scrum Master. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me today, Esther Derby. Esther, of course, the author of Seven Rules for Change, the Agile Retrospectives book, which will be out in second edition soon. Be sure mm-hmm. to check that out and catch it. It's always great to see you, Esther. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Of course. Since I've I... never actually been a Scrum Master. Well, that's that's going to be, that'll make this discussion interesting then, right? We'll have yeah. to see how this goes. Yeah. So we'll jump, I think, right into the first question. Can you share the story of how you first encountered Scrum and what motivated you to become a Scrum Master? And then was there a particular moment or experience that sparked uh, your interest? Yeah, well, I um, I first ran across Scrum in the early 2000s. And what sparked my interest was that in a lot of ways, it was similar to the the way I had approached projects when projects worked well. And I worked in, you know, I I started as a programmer and I I managed projects for many years um, in a big old financial services company with, um, you know, mainframes and waterfall processes, but I often worked in a very iterative way, right? So we would, you know, we would figure out what needed to be done and then we'd build a little of it and show it to the users and build a little more and show it to the users. So, so it reminded me of that. It felt familiar, um, from that standpoint. Um, and yet it added, um, um, some really interesting things about doing uh, requirements in a more incremental iterative way. And so I was really fascinated by it from that standpoint. And, you know, I had, I had been um, um, introduced to the agile movement at that point. I had become interested in the work they were doing. So it seemed kind of like an interesting thing to pursue. Nice. Yeah. So, was there a specific project or situation where you had a eureka moment, something that made you realize the true power and potential of Scrum? And if so, could you describe that? Well, I think it goes back to what I was just talking about. It's like um, working on these big waterfall projects, but being able to do something iterative and incremental within that, which is not truly Scrum, but that there was the connection to how that helped us be more accurate about how we were progressing and helped us stay in better connection with the customers and find mistakes and errors earlier and fix them earlier. So I think that's super powerful. And I think Scrum took what I was doing and just kind of, you know, made it even more powerful. Um, I also really like that there's that iterative reflection in it. So, you know, we're doing um, sprint reviews and demos to look at the product and we're doing retrospectives to look at how we're working together. So I really like that that was incorporated in it. 
Some people actually say that I forced that, but I don't recall <laughs> forcing anyone. <laughs> no, not forcing. But it isn't the double loop is interesting, right? We're yeah, going to look sure. at the product and then we're going to look at our inter interactions and our yep. tools and our quality. And then we're going to take all of that learning and try to do better next time. Yep. It almost yep. feels like kindergarten in a sense, right? Well, yeah. it's it seems um, it seems to make a lot of sense. Um, and what what I find is that a lot of things that often happen in organizations don't make sense. But when we walk in, we kind of take on the assumptions of the system. So I, I thought it was a really useful way to get back to some things that were sensical. Oh, I like that a lot. So as far as the, the Scrum Master role itself, or as we now call it, the accountabilities uh, mm. in the updated Scrum Guide, you know, how has your perception of the Scrum Master changed over time? Right? Are well, there I, aspects of it that from early on looked one way and maybe now it looks a little different? Well, I must confess, I haven't looked at the latest edition of the uh, official Scrum Guide. Um, what I will say is that... Um, I think the role is overburdened, right? It's okay. asking a lot of people, or at least, you know, the way it was originally um, talked about, which was, you know, driving change from a position of no power, driving, uh, making change happen from a position of no power, right? And hoping to have a lot of influence over um, things outside of the team's control, right? So I think it, I think it was, um, even from the start, it was a role that had big expectations for people with no power, with no uh, formal authority. I think along the way in many organizations, it's turned into the scrum administrator rather than the scrum master, which I, I think is um, sad, right? Because there is a lot of potential in the role to really work with a team and help the team kind of be the mirror for the team, right? You know, help the team step back and look at how they're doing their work, um, help identify the things that are getting in the way and exert some influence in the organization to, um, you know, make those impediments visible and hopefully get them um, addressed, right? And it takes more than understanding Scrum to be able to do that, right? It's a whole set of influencing skills that are um, not necessarily common sense, right? We aren't taught them. We aren't taught right. them. We, have, we need to learn them. So you brought up an interesting aspect of, of the Scrum Master um, in that there's, they are supposed to drive, and I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about the word drive either. I but don't like it. I don't know why it came out of my mouth. Maybe, oh no, I, I think it's the word that everyone uses. I, yeah. Maybe provoke, or maybe uh, may, yeah. maybe that's even a little too aggressive, but they're supposed to do something with yeah. change without any influence. And and so you are the, the author of Seven Rules for Change. Um, mm -hmm. Is that... And, and I, I'm not even sure where this where this will end up, but is it realistic in today's, um, you know, in the modern day organization to burden a person to affect change in these these huge companies with zero influence or with the zero authority? And if if it is reasonable, how do they how could they even go about that in today's org? Well, I think you can always influence what's around you. Sure. Right. You can always have, you can always um, 
do things that will make it more likely that the team will succeed. I mean, you can make sure that they have a compelling goal. You can make sure that they, you know, they have work that they can actually succeed in and make progress. Um, you know, you can, you can help the team function better, which is huge, right? Yep. I don't want to diminish that at all. Um, and you can raise up the impediments that are in the way that exist outside the team. Um, I was just reading a paper by Barry Oshry, who's a really interesting thinker about um, organizations. And he thinks about, he thinks about, you know, tops, middles and bottoms and how, how there's a certain experience that goes with being each of those positions in an organization. And they're not necessarily static, right? You may be top on your team, but middle in the, um, middle in uh, your department. And so it's not like you're forever tied to one of those roles, but the power of the people at the bottom, which is where most software teams are in, in that way of thinking about it, um, is to notice the impediments, right? Because they are in the perfect position to really experience the things that go on in the system that impede the entire system's ability to be effective. So from that standpoint, um, I think I think it's a hugely valuable role to have someone whose job is to say, okay, let's notice what's getting in the way and make other people aware of it so that we can participate in solving it. So yeah. from that from that standpoint, I think, yeah, it uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I wish, you know, in in Esther's best of all possible worlds, <laughs> which yeah, we can all hope for. Um, that that there was some awareness of that how valuable it was it is to be aware of the impediments so that the people who do have positional power can can actually work yeah. on that. well and it, it's interesting i i think that idea of the the local is so important i do think and i fully agree with you that the higher up we expect a scrum master to have influence the more burdened they are. Like this mm -hmm. is a really almost an impossible ask. It's mm -hmm. yeah, just go talk to the CEO scrum master and get them to understand what we're doing. It's, I don't think so. <laughs> well, it, that ignores that there are uh, in every hierarchy, there are status yep. differences. Oh yeah. You know, and, and um, people tend to see you in a particular role and if you try like, you know, the, the scrum master is supposed to work with a team, right? It's supposed to fix the team. So, so if you go and try to, you know, fix the CEO, he's going to say, well, you know, I didn't invite you to give me any feedback. I didn't invite you to be my teacher, but you're breaking, you're breaking role and you're, you know, um, asserting a status that is not recognized. So, so the idea that scrum masters are supposed to teach others in the organization is from the get-go kind of putting them in a different, a difficult status um, dynamic because being a teacher is upstatusing yourself and that right. does people don't like to be downstatused, right? So it's I almost, think. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, well, you go ahead. No, uh, I was no, just, I ahead. was. It, there's there's a lot of posts and and people are generating content around Scrum right now about um, 
you know, what kind of authority is needed? What kind of activities is it even possible to be a scrum master in the orgs? And I, I think you're really putting that, that finger on this idea that, um, and, may, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this idea that perhaps a scrum master isn't an entry level job. And that it perhaps, is not an entry level job. Right. No. And that you almost have to suffer up and down an org chart and through the politics of an organization and through the difficulties of delivery before you can actually take on this type of role. Is that a, is that a fair thing to say? Well, I, I think it helps to have some contextual understanding and some organizational savvy. Because yep. I think influence is a huge part of what's involved in that role. You know, that um, Raven and French long ago did some research on sources of power in organizations. And there's coercion, there's rewards, there's legitimate power, which means you know, positional power. You, you know, because you're a manager, you have certain power. But there's also referent power and network power and expertise power. Um, so scrum master may not have coercion, yay, may not have rewards other than, you know, appreciation and so forth. They probably don't have formal award power. They don't have the positional power, but they do have the ability to develop um, relationships. Yep. That helps with influence to help people solve problems. That helps with uh, people perceiving you as someone who can is, you know, has expertise and, and can, can solve things, can get things done. So I think there are ways that scrum masters can develop influence without authority. And in some ways that sort of power is more likely to gain buy-in than coercion or rewards or positional power. Oh, it's good to know. I, I, it's, it's just one of those debates that are raging right now. Sure. And sure. And it's, um, and maybe that leads into our, our next question here. So what advice would you give to someone aspiring to become a scrum master? Mm -hmm. Is there a mindset, skills, habits that you believe are crucial for success in this role? Curiosity for sure. So curiosity in terms of, um, rather than looking at a situation and saying, well, that's not scrum by the book. Look at it and say, um, how did it get this way? What purpose is it serving? How can we shape it to be closer to scrum um, so that we can move forward, right? Rather than just saying, no, that's, that's wrong. That's not, that's not, that's not what the book says. Um, because nobody really likes to have someone come come in and tell them they've been doing things wrong. Nobody really likes that. Um, so curiosity, um, influence, you know, learning learning um, how to to be influential in an organization when you don't have authority. And you know, a lot of people think influence is kind of icky. Um, I don't think it has to be. I don't think it has to be at all. Oh, I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, uh, if you you know, I, I, these days I tend to take things back to, you know, being a parent, you know, if I don't have influence over my kids, life is going to be really bad. And it's, I don't mean the positional, the, the coercion. I just right. mean, do they trust that I have their best interests at heart? Mm -hmm. Will they listen if I need them to do something immediately? Will they, 
Are they willing to bring bad things to my attention? Are they willing to ask Mm -hmm. really good questions when they don't understand? That's Mm -hmm. all influence, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as, as a parent of all your, all you're relying on is coercion, you know, rewards and, and your position. It's, it's, that's kind of a sad thing. It's inviting rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I totally agree. Influence is a, can be a, a wonderful thing or you could like anything else in this world, we can corrupt it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if you can tell people what you're doing and they don't run away, then you're probably influencing in a congruent way. But if you are, if you are, you know, if you told people what you were up to and they said, Oh, get out of, get out of here. Then, then that's when it gets icky. When you're, when you're trying to influence someone to do something that's against their own best interests. Yeah. That's yeah, when that, it's I, that idea of congruence yeah. is uh, I think another one we could probably spend another 20 minutes on. Yeah, so. At least. <laughs> so I, curiosity, I think is a great one. This last question for you, Esther, and I, I appreciate you working through these. <laughs> What is the one book every scrum master should read? Uh, After the scrum guide, of course. Okay. Well, we're asking for a lot, but yeah. Yes. Uh, Please read the scrum guide. (laughs) You'd be surprised how many people have not, or have not read the, read anything about the agile manifesto. So um, I think those are both useful things to be familiar with. And, you know, I think retrospectives are a really important practice because that's how teams get better by, by looking at what they did and talking about it, reflecting on it, figuring out you know, yep. what's going on and what can we do differently. So I would say read agile retrospective second edition coming out sometime first quarter. Um, I'm not, we don't have a publication date yet. Um, it is available in beta. So people, yes, it is available in beta at the pragmatic programmer site. So you can get an early copy. Um, and uh, read seven rules for uh, positive productive change because it is about changing changing things when you don't have authority. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and I'm glad that um, yeah. that you mentioned your two books because they. Yeah. I wish every scrum master would read them. It would change the state of mm-hmm. retrospectives, which mm-hmm. are, you know, as certain again more debates have have been raging <laughs> on social media. They're yes. getting diminished down to. Yeah ridiculous themes and skins and you know let's let's bring the power of the retro back which i'm so happy to to hear that that second edition is coming out soon and then the seven rules for change or it's just as a scrum master you're not going to have positional authority typically although maybe you should that's probably a, a good topic for the future as well but you're likely not and so navigating that world with uh, where you where you can influence, but not necessarily direct. I can't think of a better resource. So two great books. We'll get links to those in the show notes. Um, Esther, anything else you'd like to get in front of the audience before we uh, wrap this one up? Um, well, I have a podcast uh, called Change by Attraction, which uh, goes into a little more depth about some of the ideas in the book, Seven Rules for Change. Um and yeah, and watch Ryan's stuff. He's always got good stuff. Out. <laughs> All right. I paid her to say that. So he that did was, not. that's very nice. So Esther, I appreciate you doing this yeah. and uh, we will uh, certainly try to follow up for other conversations in the future. I would, I would love that.